Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Hey, I'm really excited to be with you guys. You know, one of the things I want to make sure that everybody knows about is the Fierce app. I know it's been talked about already, but if you don't have that, there's a way that you can kind of engage with the sermon material a little bit more. If you download the app, uh, go to the Play Store, the App Store, and download Fierce Church, and then go to the Weekend tab, there's a little engagement card right here that'll help you uh, share any prayer requests you have. It'll help you follow along in the message notes. And if you want to take any challenges, it'll let us know about it. Those prayer requests come right to me, and I promise that I pray for them. Also, if you're brand new with us, we have a free gift for you. It's down at the red tent down there at the end of the hallway. We'd love for you to pick that up before you leave today. Hey, um, I want to talk to you today about fear. And particularly, I want to talk to you about how the resurrection has the power to overcome our fear when we are living in the age of fear. So as we've kind of rounded the corner, we've come back to Easter. Easter is very, I know that the pandemic started before Easter, but it was kind of like right before, and all the church people were like, we'll be back by Easter, and that just, you know, we forgot about that real quick. But being back here makes me reflective that hey man, this year has been something else. The, the fear level, I feel like the, the, the sea level of fear has risen in the land. And even though things are, you know, they're starting to look up, that still does, that doesn't mean that things haven't gone significantly wrong that causes us to have a little bit more fear than we might normally have. Um, I'm rather confident guy, I mean, most of the time. But as I think sometimes about our economy, I don't, I'm not so confident. As I think sometimes um, about some of the decisions our political leaders might make, I'm not so confident. When I think about big tech and I think about social media and I think about some of the things that are fed to the masses without any questions asked, sometimes I get a little bit nervous about that. So I get a little bit fearful about that kind of thing. Sometimes I'm just afraid of what else. What else we got coming? Uh, This year reminds me of like every time you whack down a problem, there's three more that pop up. I don't know if y'all remember the game Whack-A-Mole. Some of you are too young for that. But back when I was a teenager, there was real arcades. Some games didn't even have video. So you'd go to them. And yeah, you popped in a lot of quarters. But there was this one that was designed to give you a panic attack. And it was called Whack-A-Mole. And, and it was just my kind of game. I don't even, I, can they still do Whack-A-Mole today? I feel like animal rights people would not be okay with this. But they give you a club, okay? And then like a, a little mole pops up. And you whack it. But then three more kind of mock you and come up and tell you that you're not doing very well. That's kind of how I felt about problems in 2020 coming into this year. It seems like no matter what you do, three more pop up. So there's just a fatigue. Are you experiencing any of that? Any fear, any fatigue? Not to mention, I mean, this has just come home for so many of us and it's, it's the biggest one, just dying. Like dying is more of a real thing for some of us. Some of you, you've lost people over the past year. Others of you, you're like in the midst of like, how's this going to go right now? You're wondering where this is going to land. And it can just have this draining effect on, of us, on us, the level of fear. For others of us, it's about, man, am I missing out on something? We all had to go home, and maybe there's other things that other people are doing somewhere that are really much more significant or important than I am doing. Am I missing out? And we're just, honestly, man, we're just we're tired of being afraid. And can I let you know, the disciples 
as we're going to study them today, they know exactly how that feels. Not about a pandemic, but about what they have recently lost. So I want to take you back. We're going to go to the night of the resurrection. This isn't resurrection morning. This is that evening, okay? So the disciples, they're freaked out, man. And they're all huddled up in this apartment room. And they've heard some rumbling. Some of them have shared rumors of like, yeah, you know, some of the gals, they feel like they saw an angel or something. Mary even says she saw the Lord, but we don't know. You know, maybe everyone's just losing their minds, okay? It's a very terrible and fearful time. We're afraid that the people that put Jesus to death, it's only a matter of time. They're going to come find us. And I really believe one of the most weighty emotions they're probably experiencing is the emotion. Maybe you've, you've felt this at some point. Wow, we lost. We just lost. I can't believe it. I can't believe it happened. But we straight up lost. We followed Jesus for three years, and it was a sure thing, man. Like, he could raise the dead. Nobody could stop him. And yet, I don't know if it was us. I don't know if we failed him at the last minute. I don't know why he allowed himself to be taken captive. Like, I, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And they're thinking, this guy's going to be the next king. This guy's going to be like the president. They're going to be his cabinet. And man, we just lost. And not only that, but right at the last minute, they abandoned him. You think about how that feels? Like, we betrayed him. Did we do this? Because we were just chicken? And then he was put to death? was everything a waste. And so they're huddled and they're hi hiding behind these locked doors. And two disciples just show up from Emmaus and they're like, man, I don't know, we just, we just talked to Jesus. I know he's supposed to be dead, but he was walking with us and we don't, we don't know what's happening. And everyone, you know, they don't know what to believe because on one level, maybe everyone's just hysterical. No one's eat, eaten really well in the past three days and, you know, who knows what is going on here. And suddenly, let's pick it up, Luke 24. They are freaked out. Verse 35, then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling him about it, Jesus, somebody say Jesus. Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt. Now, let's just be fair. This is a little spooky, okay? He, 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 like the doors are locked. He just clearly just appears, just walks right through the wall or something. And he's supposed to be dead. And by the way, no one is expecting a resurrected Jesus. Nobody was waiting at the tomb that morning being like, oh, should, you know, he's probably just about here. No one was expecting this. In fact, even the Jewish expectation for those who knew their Bibles they might have looked to Daniel chapter 12, but even if they did, the resurrection of the dead is supposed to be at the end of time. It is not supposed to be in the middle of history. So no one is expecting a resurrected Christ. Maybe this is a zombie. Maybe it's a ghost, but no one's expecting it. So Jesus, he's like a good teacher, says, well, let's do a little lab. Let me prove it to you. Verse 39, look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me. And make sure that I'm not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there. Check this out. This is a weird emotion. Disbelief filled with joy and wonder. 
They're like, whoa. Like, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to think. This is too good to be true. I can't believe it, and yet I'm seeing these things that force me to believe it. Jesus wants to take it further. He's like, all right, all right. Do y'all have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Because if he's a ghost, this is going to fall right through. You know? (laughs) Okay. He's like, I ain't a ghost, y'all. I know I don't look like a normal human, but I'm definitely not a ghost. Verse 44. Then he said, this is really important. When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Let's go ahead and and remember that. We're going to come back to that. Verse 46. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. Okay, so that was then. It was written that this message, so right now, here's what happens next. That's what just happened. Here's what's about to happen. This message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Here's the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And he's going to leave them with, and let me tell you what's about to happen. And now I'll send the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. What's up with this resurrection, man? What are we supposed to think about this? Because this is not just like a dead body. This isn't like Lazarus. Remember, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but it was just old Lazarus alive a little bit longer. This is a brand new thing. This is a resurrected body. This body is clearly different than the bodies that you and I have. This body has the supernatural power to walk through walls, yet it can have wounds that you know, would, you'd think would be very painful, and yet Jesus seems non-bothered by them. He can still interact with the physical world, and yet he clearly has attained some spiritual visibility that they clearly cannot attain themselves. What's going on with this thing? Jesus is the first of the renewed creation. He, in his resurrected body, the Bible teaches us, even if you never heard this before, I promise it's really in there. It's been there since Job. Paul talks about it. Those who trust in Jesus Christ are actually going to have a brand new glorified body. You're not just going to be a spirit forever in heaven. You're going to have a brand new, brand spanking new, powerful body. Paul says, like the Lord's. We don't even know what that means, but somehow it's It's like that. It's this brand new renewal process that is starting in the earth, and Jesus is the first one. And I think it's really important that we notice this resurrected body because on one level, he's physically interacting with the world. And on another level, he's clearly spiritually doing something more. There's something greater. There's something more happening here. And just like Jesus begins the rehab process of the world, Jesus doesn't want to just everyone to fly away He says, let's start right here. I'm going to send you on a mission. And your job is going to be to rehab the world. This flies in the face of two uh, worldviews that you probably have interacted with a little bit. There's the spiritualists. The spiritualists say, hey, man, you know what? This world, honestly, just doesn't matter. Let's just all get over this thing. Okay, don't cling to the world. You don't need any of this stuff. It's all going to end, so let's just forget about it. Fix your eyes on heaven. And they're kind of right. They're right about some stuff. 
And the benefit is, you know, there's really hard things that if God has to rend our hands from them, it's going to hurt even more. God does want our confidence in where we're going and the fact that no matter what happens here, there, the day is going to come when I'm going to be with Jesus forever. At the same time, sometimes they don't seem to be very focused on making a difference. It's almost as, as though they argue to not make a difference. Hey, let's, let's not worry about the world. Let's just all eject and get out of here. Well, on the other, other hand, you've got the materialists. And the materialists say, this is all there is. Hey, man, let's just get over. This is what you've got. So whatever you're going to do, you better do it. And by the way, if you don't have a perfect life right now, if something didn't happen, if you didn't get the job that you wanted, if you don't look like a model, if you didn't get the mansion that you wanted, if you get hurt, if something goes wrong, if you get disabled, hey, man, you might as well forget it. Your life's over. There's nothing you can do about it now because this is all there is. And yeah, you know, we materialists, we get some things done, but there's definitely a sense we are bound to this world. We're free to do stuff here, but we're never free from the world. And then Jesus comes along with this resurrected body. And he says, I want to start a new group called the Resurrectionists. The Resurrectionists are free from, but they're also free for. They're free from the world, but they're also free for the world. The resurrectionists have figured out, praise God, I do not have to cram everything into this short life. I do not have to have everything go right. I can have dramatic mistakes. I can get hurt. Things cannot go the way that I thought in my family. Things can go radically wrong, and yet I am free from this world because I know that this is not my home. I know that I'm going to have a renewed body, and I'm going to live forever. In fact, I don't need to have all my experiences right here because I'm going to have a billion years to have more perfect experiences in a perfect environment. I am free from this world. But they also know I'm free for, though, because Jesus came as a resurrected Christ, as a glorified physical Christ to restore and rehab the world. That means what I do here matters because people actually matter. And the things that happen here, this world is not just, God's not just going to like whip it out. All right, let's start with a new one. No, it's this one. God says, I want to bring my life and my healing and my kingdom into this kingdom. And I want to use you. And I use very natural things. That means I'm going to use the police officer that is committed to serving and protecting for my honor. I'm going to use the medical technician who is healing people in my name. I'm going to use the architect. I'm going to use the musician to build my culture back into the world because God is on a cosmic rehab program. So he says, hey man, y'all go about doing the business of the kingdom of God because that is what God is doing. And he started it with Jesus. Somebody say amen. And here's why. Because Jesus rose, check it out, Jesus rose not just to save, but to soothe. He rose not just to save. He did, but he rose to soothe you and to soothe this world. So let me give you these uh, four ways the resurrection combats fear. Because of the resurrection, I can be confident. Number one, no matter how dark it gets, God can use your pain for his good purposes. This is a response to the fear of tragedy, and everybody fears tragedy. This is what these disciples have just experienced. What did he say again in verse 46? Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. The resurrection reminds us that the Lord, amazingly, 
uses the worst tragedies to bring about his best results. That's really important. He uses his worst tragedies to bring about his best results. Nobody else can do that. He says, um, this has always been the plan, disciples. This isn't new. God didn't like forget what the plan was and now he's got to work something new. This was always the plan to take the worst thing and bring the best things out of it. Jesus is saying to his disciples, guys, my plan was always to put God back in the center. I didn't lose. And you didn't lose. You're not defeated. This is me saving the day through the tragedy. So my family, like we're big movie people. Okay. And I just cannot wait for movie theaters to open back up, man. I'm gonna get in there. Okay. That's just how I, I, I decompress. And I like to go with the family, but you know, if they're doing school or something, I'm like, that's fine. I'll go myself. And so I'll go up in there, you know, and I got all my stuff. I got my, my Sour Patch Kids over here, and I got my popcorn. I got my Cokes here, and I'm, all right, I'm leaning back, and I'm ready, man. This is, this is my time, okay? All right, ministry is everywhere. People can't find me in the theater, all right? So I, when I'm watching movies, I found that there's really three kinds of movies. There's, there's movies that, you know, they're just not that good. They're just kind of bad. That like they, they're, it's maybe even interesting at first, but then it's this ridiculously bad ending, okay? So I'm not trying to offend you, but when I saw No Country for Old Men, I don't know if you know about this one, but I got to the end and I'm trying not to swear. I'm like, what the, what was that? That was not even an ending. I want two hours of my life back. That movie was so bad. So there's movies that just end bad. There's stories that just, man, no matter what you do, it just ends bad. Then there's movies like The Avengers, okay? Come on, somebody like the Avengers, where everything is going bad, but you know it's going to work out, okay? It, it all somehow in the end, even if it takes three movies, they're going to be fine, all right? And the heroes are going to come out on top. But there's, and that's, that's a really great story, but there's an even better kind of story. And that's the story where the bad things bring about the good ending. They cause the deliverance. So I'm going to share an old movie-ish, early 2000s, okay? This is Signs. Should have seen it by now. No spoiler alerts at all. All right, so um, this father, his, they're just going through a bad time as a family. His wife just passed away. He's got a brother whose baseball career is in a shambles. They're on this farm. They got this little precious girl who, you know, she's kind of obsessive with all these cups of water. She leaves cups of water all around the house, and then they've got this little boy who, he's an asthmatic, and he, he pretty much almost always is about to die every time he has a little asthma attack. And so things are bad enough, and they're losing faith, and then aliens. Then aliens come. Okay, so this is, this is as bad as, as it gets. And then you get to the end of the movie, and it kind of kicks you in the gut, because every one of those bad things causes them to win in the end. If you take away any one of those bad things, they don't win. It's only if each one of those bad circumstances are there that they come out on top. And this is what Jesus says. He says, guys, I'm going to use the very things that are bad to bring about what is good. That's why he says, look at my hands. Do you see this? Look at these and remember. Remember that these, yes, they were bad for a minute, but they bring about the salvation of the earth. What you think is going to ruin you, come on somebody, this is deeper than this if you're listening. If you think it's going to ruin you, is actually going to be your salvation. It's not that he brings you joy 
in spite of the sorrow, he brings you joy because of the sorrow. The sorrow is the thing that enhances it. The sorrow is the thing that brings it about. The sorrow travels along and then is subsumed into the joy. It only happens if the bad things happen. And that's how God wins. And you can see this a little bit. For some of you, you know, you've been moving on with Jesus for a few years now, and you look back and you can see him start to do this. Well, the day's going to come. For those who have trusted Jesus Christ, you're going to stand in heaven and you're going to look at the story and you're going to look at all the bad things and you're like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. But God did it. He took every one of those things that I thought was so bad. I thought it was a loss. I thought I failed. And yet God used it to bring about his grand, awesome design. And if he showed you the blueprint right now, you would say, oh God, I choose your version with all the bad stuff in it. I choose it because I can see where it goes. That's why we don't need to be afraid of tragedy. Because no matter what happens, God's resurrection power is going to use it to bring about his best. And here's number two. No matter how much I may think I know, unless Jesus opens my understanding, I will not grasp scriptural truth. Do you see what he said? Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. We got this fear nowadays of missing out. We see other people online. We see their life and how perfect it appears to be. They don't include all the times they're bawling on the floor. They don't include all the days where, you know, they're yelling at their kids. They don't include any of that stuff. But it makes us feel like we're missing out. And maybe not even just missing out on experiences, but missing out on even just like the information. So I remember, I remember this when I was a kid. I remember I'd walk in, my parents would be talking about something. And, you know, it's just probably just not, it's somebody's business. It's not for me to know. I walk in, it's kind of like, hey, what are y'all talking about? Now, when I was a kid, you could get bored real easy. Now, kids can't even get bored. Right, they just have, they got some kind of device and like, well, I'm not bored now. I go days being bored, okay? So if there's something interesting in my kid life, parents are talking about it and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, you don't have to worry about it. And I'm like, ugh. And now I do the same thing to my kids. They walk in, they're like, what are you all talking about? You know, and it's something about the church and it's not right for them to know about it or whatever. And they're missing out on that information. Do you remember what that feels like? You know what that feels like? I, I, I can't have the information. Wouldn't it be horrible to get to the end of your life and realize there was mega information that you could have had that would have made the whole thing different. That's what Jesus does for these disciples right now. He includes them in the real story. Because remember, up to this point, these guys, are, dude, they've just been, ah, uh, they're just not very bright. They can't get it. He keeps telling them everything is going to happen, and they never get it. And now he does something that's so important that he does for us. He opens their minds to understand the scriptures, now they're finally going to get it. They've heard Jesus preach for three years. That is the best teaching you're ever going to hear. I'm sorry, man, if you can't get it after that. But Jesus has to open their mind. Even with good men, Jesus has to open their minds to understand the scriptures. Isn't that something? Jesus finally reveals to them, guys, I know that you wanted to be part of the cabinet and all that, but my purpose was not to make you part of some kind of political celebrity party. My purpose was to stab a knife through the heart of sin. And that is what we've done. And that is what is going to be your mission from here on out, disciples. Now do you get it? They do finally get it, but God had to open their mind and their understanding. So I just wanna challenge every one of us on Easter Sunday. 
Resist the idea that, well, you know, I've already heard this. I already know. I've already heard all the things. I've been going to Bible school. You know, I've, I've heard, the, I've, I went through all the religious training. Maybe you did. But even the apostles themselves needed the spirit to open their understanding. And we need it too. And we need it every day. We need, we're not, we're not going to miss out on anything if we have the crucial, most important thing that you don't want to miss out on. And that is life through the eyes of our God, the counsel of God. You know, there's a spiritual pleasure to feeling like God is showing me something in the pages of scripture. Like there's a joy in that. So can I challenge you? One is to pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened anytime you approach the scriptures. And if you're not in a Bible church normally, I want to challenge you to, for the next three months, either come here or listen online. You could try some other churches, but they won't be as good. You should just come here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They're all good. They're all good. They're all good. Here, here's number three. No matter what I've done, Jesus loves me. No matter what I've done, Jesus loves me. This answers our fear of rejection. Do you see what he said? Peace be with you. These guys likely are dreading his approach. When they first see him, they're probably like, what's he going to do now? Is he going to want some kind of revenge? Because the last thing we did was we left him and abandoned him. Except for John, every one of us fled. What is he going to do right now? And they're a little bit afraid of what he might want to do. And can I tell you, this is, this is a little strange to hear at first, but, but stay with me. Fear is the right response to Jesus at first. It's the right response to Jesus at first. The apostle John, he's being given this vision that he writes down as the book of Revelation. And he says he sees the magnified, glorified King Jesus in heaven. Okay. He doesn't look like the Galilean carpenter. He looks like the King. And John falls down on his face as though he were dead because of the fear of God's holiness. And that is the right response first is we need to have a right kind of appropriate kind of fear of God because the world, this is what the world is doing right now. The world is trying to tell you and me every day, your guilt doesn't need to matter. Don't worry about that. That's probably because what something happened to you when you grew up. That's not really your fault. It doesn't really matter because, you know, everybody's doing this now and it doesn't matter. Um, things might have happened to you when you grew up and it might be that everyone else is doing stuff but your and my decisions betray a holy God all on their own. And that should cause a right kind of level of fear at first. Let me say it this way. It doesn't matter if we cover up the holiness of God with a wet blanket. It is still there. It is there. And I know, you know, that as people go, you're, you're probably a good person, Right? And even the Bible talks about, you know, we, there's a relative righteousness that everybody has. Some people are a little righteous. Some people are not righteous at all. And that's true. But compared to Jesus, we don't hold a candle to that. No, I don't care how good you are. You don't hold a candle to how good Jesus is. Remember, Jesus, he didn't just never sin. Jesus was the absolute epitome of good and love. And that is the standard we're called up to. And here's what everybody knows. No matter what you tell yourself intellectually, every person is really afraid of death because they know on that day they're, gonna get, they're going to get a pay.
payment due bill about all the ways in their life they left good undone or they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And every one of us knows, honey, you can't pay that bill. There's nothing you can do about it. Sit there for just a second. That's where we start. That's how bad it is. And here's the gospel. You are more sinful than you ever dared to believe. But you are more loved than you ever dared to hope. And see, some of you, even as I was talking about the, the fear and the sin part, you're like, no, Carter, because Jesus loves me. Oh, not only does he, you don't even get it. You haven't even scratched the surface of his love for you. But you will know his love deeper if you start with, and here's why, by rights, I should have been afraid of God. Just like these disciples should rightly be afraid of Jesus. But Jesus comes to them and he doesn't like condemn them. He doesn't say, well, thanks a lot, guys. Like that's not, that'd be my first line. Come on, guys. You just left me there? That's not Jesus's. His first words, peace be with you. I want you to know my heart toward you. First, let's get this out of the way. I want you to know, disciples, how I feel about you. The first thing I want to do is bring comfort to you. I want you to remember that I was a substitute for you. I laid down my life willingly for you. I took all of your punishment and my desires to give you peace and to comfort you. When my kids were really little, when there was a thunderstorm at night, they would like run in the bed, you know, and sit with Kenzie and I, and I get to hold them, you know, and they're kind of trembling because they don't know what's going on with the lightning and the thunder. But there was a joy that I felt as the papa, I get to soothe them. I get to comfort them. In fact, I can't, you know, I know it's not dangerous, but I can't really explain to them how it works. I just say, it's okay because daddy's here. Daddy's here. And Jesus, in the storms and the fears of life, he longs, even when it's your fault, even when you've done wrong, he says, I still rejoice in comforting you. I want you to come to me. Not because you should know better, I want to enjoy holding you. Every night, just about, I make my wife this raspberry tea. I get the, get the water all hot, and then I take this raspberry tea bag, and I dip it in. And as soon as I do, it's like this, this cloud of blood goes into this water. Like, that's what it makes me think of every time. If you think about Jesus, it's a little better than some kind of, like, horror movie. But I steep it, steep that tea. And those who have the courage to steep in the reality that Jesus speaks love to them, he, steeps, he speaks comfort to them. He's not out to get you. He's not out to get back at you. He says, peace be with you. That's what I want. And here's number four. No matter how inadequate I feel, Jesus will help me fulfill his will for my life. It's easy to feel inadequate. And Jesus says, now I'll send the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Jesus says, hey, I got a job for you and you're gonna feel inadequate for it, but that's why I'm sending you extra power. I'm sending you the power of the very deity to live in you 
and be in you. And what he's going to do is he's going to reorient the direction of your entire life around this idea that Jesus Christ beat death. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he's going to use you. He's going to fill you. He's going to shape everything you do in every corner of your world. He's going to shape you through your neighborhood, through your place of business, in your family. He says, you're going to be my witness. And that doesn't always mean you're going to like explain Jesus to everybody, but what you're going to stand in the gap with your actions in your words is you're always going to say, I know this, Jesus Christ conquered death and he loves me. That's what I know. That's what a witness does. And that's what you're here to do. You're here to breathe that rehabbing idea into the rest of the world. And you don't need to do it on your own. God himself will do it through you because Jesus rose not just to save the world, but to soothe it. And he wants to use you and me to do it. You know, earlier we said that the gospel is trusting that Jesus Christ entirely forgives my sin as I repent. Verse 47 says, this is the message we proclaim. There's forgiveness of sins for all who repent. That word repent, it means I admit that there's things that I've done that hurt God. And with his help, I feel appropriate sorrow for it, but I receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And with God's power, I'm not going to do it again. Do my best. But you know, there's another kind of repentance, and that's repentance for trying to solve all your own problems, trying to answer all your own fears, trying essentially to have a solution for everything. You know, that's never going to work. It was a fantasy that you were ever going to be able to solve all your problems because you're not God. You're not God. That's way too much for you. You can't take that weight. You can't solve all the problems. So today let's even repent for in some ways trying to be God or taking the responsibility of God. Let's do this. This is the Easter bottom line. Are you ready for it? This is what I want you to remember no matter what. If we could just get this, we would get Easter. Let Jesus be the Savior. You be the saved. Let Jesus be the Savior. You be the saved. That's your role. That's your part. You just let him save you. You let him be God. You let him have the problems. So I don't ever like to end Easter without inviting everybody, if you haven't before, to run to Jesus in the bedroom to run to him and receive his forgiveness and receive his power. Maybe you're like those disciples right now. Maybe you're in the room and you're afraid and you don't know what to do. And you maybe even sense, yeah, I haven't done all I was supposed to do. And there's Jesus. And you might even be a little bit afraid. You don't need to be afraid of this. I want to invite you to receive his forgiveness and let him be God. Let Jesus be Jesus and you be the saved. It's really easy to do. We're going to ask him to forgive us, and we're going to ask him to give us his power to make us little rehabbers of the world. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I want you to picture Jesus there, and his word to you is peace. I did not come to condemn you. I did not come to get back at anything. I did all this to save you. 
So God, we want to thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the resurrection and how it gives us power over fear. And Lord, for some of us, we just want to come home. We want to come home to you. We declare it's true. Some of the things that have been talked about today, we know we could never earn our way to you. We could never be religious enough. It's got to be you. You get to be Jesus. We just want to be the saved. And so we ask for your forgiveness. And we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your heart of love. And we thank you for your power. Thank you that you just didn't leave us here, but you give us strength and power now to live for you on this side of heaven. And in your mercy, you're going to take us all the way home. We believe it's true. You died on that cross as a substitution for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible-preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being His witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development-related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.